I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the review show for the episode on how 2018 will be the year that defines Brexit with guest Chuka Amuna. I'm Progress Deputy Editor Connor Pope and I'm with Progress Director Richard Angel to look through some of the reactions to this week's show. been quite a busy news week, Richard. Have you got an issue of the week that you want to talk about? Well, I think it was clearly right that Jeremy Corbyn went on the NHS at PMQs this week after the appalling winter crisis that we've had. I thought Luciana Berger dominated actually PMQs with her brilliant question about the time splash this week that somehow cancer treatments are going to be paired back and chemotherapy limited in a leaked document from the NHS. So she was great and really got the Prime Minister on the run. But what came out on Thursday this week is that NHS providers, so the people who run hospitals around the country, are saying that unless something is done about funding, the rights that are enshrined in the NHS constitution are not going to be able to be kept up in the NHS. And one of the reasons why that pricked my ears, not only is it really important and we care about the NHS, but the NHS constitution came from a progress pamphlet in the kind of third term Labour government. I think Andy Burnham took it up when he was a junior health minister and then health secretary. What it was about was people with our centre-left politics who'd done the hard reforms, who'd put in the money. Those two things gave it the NHS this kind of 88% approval rating when we left government. But what it was about was hardwiring in our values into those public services and essentially trying to prevent the worst of a Tory austerity that might come afterwards. And we're now seeing that the bit that might save or prevent the worst of austerity in our health service is those legal rights that we put in the NHS for patients. And I think the Tories would find it very hard to get NHS levels so low that those rights will have to change. And I think potentially the, the public will change the government before they, the government changes their rights to access to really good NHS treatment. So it was our centre-left values being hardwired in to the public health system. It wasn't just about the money and the reform. It was about making that kind of change and safeguarding it for the future. And that kind of links in with my own issue of the week, which obviously was the reshuffle hmm. uh, at the beginning of the week that Theresa May carried out of her cabinet in which Jeremy Hunt somehow uh, got what seems like a promotion with uh, social care being added to his job title already as health secretary, uh, despite the fact that at one point it looked like he was going to get a promotion, at another point it looked like he was going to get the sack. I've absolutely no idea what happened there, but mm-hmm. it was a disaster from start to finish by the looks of it. It, it seemed like for something that was so limited, how 
so much was able to go wrong kind of really sums up, I think, Theresa May's premiership so far. It seems that she's not doing very much and everything that she does do goes so badly. This reshuffle, which, you know, was, uh, I think, trailed, um, it started on the Friday, last Friday, I think. So it's trailed like three days in advance, which means that you have to be briefing it four days in advance. And yet when it came to the Monday and her carrying it out, it still didn't seem that she really knew what she was doing. And considering that so much was off the table, so she couldn't move the big offices of state, she couldn't move the Brexit department, the one big idea she had was the no-deal scenario minister, which didn't ever materialise, and it did just start falling apart because members of her cabinet realised that they were basically as important in those discussions, they were meeting as equals, because they're all, you know, she serves not at the country's pleasure, but her cabinets and the 1922 committees. And it makes you wonder why she bothered to do it because it really it's not it's not been a big change and i think it's the not a reshuffle it's a rebrand isn't it of some departments well, well that's the what housing department and the health department yeah certainly that's what it, se- it seems to be an attempt to and uh, the fact that she didn't really know what she was doing uh, out of, from the outside suggests that maybe a lot of it was in fact about internal conservative party stuff and that is why the first few announcements were all about internal Tory party, deputy chairman, new chairman of the party, that kind of stuff. Before she got on to anything to do with actually changing the country, it was about how she manages her own party. And I think that people will clearly see that because it doesn't feel like a rebrand at all. It doesn't feel like anything has actually changed. All that she's really got from this is having someone in Justine Greening, who is on the more pro-EU side of the cabinet when she was in it, now being back on the back benches and, uh, you know... Joining Nicky Morgan at well, the likes. Exactly. And in fact, we saw that by the fact that she went and sat next to Nicky Morgan in her first day as a backbencher and the two were gossiping. So I think even in terms of internal party management, it didn't go that well for her. I thought it was bizarre that to have all of that briefing, to then focus it on essentially to make the Conservative Party a better campaign machine, which seemed to be her main objective. And then before she'd even got to the health secretary who she tried to move and couldn't and didn't, the education secretary who tried to move and end up having to lose and all that other stuff, she wanted a photo with all those people who have been appointed into conservative positions. So literally it was a political um, uh, rebrand of the Tory party that she was planning with a few uh, bits down the line for the departments. But she didn't change her government and she showed herself to be really weak and what a terrible start uh, to 2018 for her. Anyway, we should move on to some listeners' comments. So on Tuesday's podcast, Alison spoke passionately about what progressives at home can do to help shape uh, Brexit in the coming year. She emphasised going to visit your MP and telling them face-to-face your, your own views on Brexit. It's something that you picked up on on the Progress website this week. Um, so if any listeners are interested, there's um, a link to five ways to get a face-to-face meeting with your MP on Brexit. I wanted to do that because you know some of the listeners to this podcast won't be insiders in Westminster, won't be political aficionados. Some of them won't yet be in the Labour Party, but will broadly share our values and we'll want to start impacting on the world. And you know, we shouldn't just be people who have a conversation between ourselves in Westminster, but we want to bring on new talent, bring more people into our party who share our values. And we want to make sure that you know, young people, people who are new to politics, have a sense of agency about it. You can change the world. Decisions are made by people who turn up. So turn up at your MP's office and tell them what you think about Brexit. And as Alison said, and I quote in that piece, 
be sure your opponents are doing that right now. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to read that piece, that'll be in the notes underneath this episode. Citizen of Nowhere on Twitter said that Alison's was amazing advice and added, we love Alison. We do love Alison. <laughs> she speaks for us all, whoever, whoever Citizen of Nowhere is. Edward Austin also tweeted that he enjoyed the podcast immensely and hopes 2018 is the year we really start turning this thing around after 18 months of hell. <laughs> nice optimistic there. <laughs> so Chuka's appearance on the podcast this week got a bit of a reaction on social media. The video that he did for us attacking those smearing pro-European constituents of his as somehow a liberal elite went viral and inevitably got some people with differing opinions chipping in on the debate too. So first up, Greg Sinker said that attacking Brexit without attacking austerity first is futile. We would lose the vote again. The issue with this is that until you know what the end deal of Brexit is going to be, what our relationship is with the European Union, then you don't know what kind of programme that you can put in place in Britain. And that is why effectively Brexit does need to come first because you need to make sure that the economy is in a good place. And I think the most important thing for that is maintaining our trading ties with Europe through the single market, through customs union. If we don't have that, then I think the economy is going to tank. And then you can't bring forward a progressive anti-austerity agenda because you won't have any money at all. And you can't build a kind of a really big progressive utopia at a time when the economy is going through the absolute dirt. Absolutely. If you're going to stop austerity, you need tax revenues in the Treasury so we can put it out in our public services. So next up, Peter Jeffries said, no one knows the impact of Brexit and what it will be. I am one of those who believe we will do well. Others do. Why can't we? Come on, Connor. Why can't we do well outside of <laughs> I, the EU? So I think, again, this is just a, is a very similar point, is that, yes, I don't know what Brexit is going to look like at the end point. And yes, I, d I don't see any reason why in the long term we can't make it work. But that does depend on how we maintain our ties in the meantime uh, and in the short period. And I think the most important thing for that is still the single market. And being able to have that uh, relationship with the rest of Europe is what will keep us in a good position further down the line. You know, if we don't have that, then, yeah, I don't know what the impact will be. But I have a pretty good feeling that it won't be good. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And even I think Britain will do well as a country, but we could be doing better because we know that working with your neighbours and your colleagues is the best way to make your economy work for people, have fairness and hardwire into it the things that we care about, which is workers' rights, consumer protections and a positive environmental policy. So let's do it. On the uh, make Britain great again comment though, uh, over in the US this week, uh, there's been a lot of talk about Oprah Winfrey running for president against Donald Trump in 2020. Chucker was the first backer in the UK, I, I reckon. I, I think he was one of the earliest people to bring that up, and it became a big story over here as well as over there after Oprah's um, Golden Globe speech at the weekend. And actually, if you, if you are interested, if it's passed you by at all, or if you want to hear both sides of the argument, we've actually got a debate that will be on uh, the Progress website later today with uh, Sam Bright, who's our new digital editor, and Hannah Shah, uh, who's our new editorial assistant. And they are taking each side about whether or not Oprah should run for office in 2020. Uh, that will be up at some point on Friday. Just a bust up in the Progress office, know, played that, out on the website. In their first Tune week in as now. well. <laughs> uh, so just visit progressonline.org.uk and that will be up there. So talking about tuning in, people who've been on to iTunes to leave um, oh. a review. Oh, was, that, <laughs> was that a 
<laughs> was that a good little segue through? I've got an LBC career ahead of me with that kind of segue, I'm sure. It's obviously really important that people leave iTunes reviews because we don't just want people who currently listen to the podcast to listen. We need more listeners and to share it with our friends and family. And iTunes reviews are very important for that, uh, for all the ratings, etc. So Ted Dancing said, I've just found it and now I'm happy. Produced well, clever, funny, smart and a new favourite. I think that's about the presenters rather than the actual uh, podcast, but you thank you very much on, for that. On, on the note of puns, do you think that Ted Dancing is a pun of Ted Dance and the Cheers actor? Maybe, may, maybe. That's a cool cultural reference that went over my head. Cheers, the 1980s American sitcom. Yeah. yeah, no, it's not that cool, I don't think. Okay, uh, you've just outed yourself as uncool, Colin. And the listeners won't believe it. Uh, <laughs> lawmaker, not law taker, says it's good to hear MPs trying to make the weather on Brexit. Profoundly agree with Alison McGovern's informed comments and that the, the Labour Party's internationalists and the EU is a progressive force for good. It is not perfect, but all the minimum standards and safeguards we will lose by leaving on worker and consumer rights as well as the environment will be put at risk by the far right agenda. An episode on immigration would be very welcome. And that is one of the things that Alison said that we would do in the last podcast and we are working on at the moment. So what was your comment of the week then, Richard, to win a progress mug? I think Ted Dancing needs to get the mug because they've just found it. And imagine how pleased they'll be that they found a podcast and then got a mug. It's going to be really embarrassing when we discover that Ted Dancing is in fact his real name and not just a a joke about uh, a comic actor from 20 years ago. It's going to look so bad on you, Connor. (laughs) So our other prize that we give out is uh, for the political pub quiz question. This week I asked which five cabinet ministers, as of Monday morning before the reshuffle, have previously been members of either the SDP, Lib Dems or Labour? You didn't know the answer to this. I didn't, it got my head scratching. I'm afraid, we we did get some people chipping in, but I'm afraid no one got all five right, which is what you need to get the mug this week. So there'll there'll be no mug going out for the... We should send a mug to Rennie for setting a question that nobody could answer. He's got a pointless answer uh, prize. I did did steal this this, this question off Rennie Anger on Twitter, so I'll get in touch with him and make sure he gets a mug. But anyway, the full list, it's um, it's really interesting, actually. So Chris Grayling, he was in the SDP. Liz Truss. How? He's the most horrid person ever. Like, he's, how is he ever a social democrat? Anyway. Anyway, Liz Truss was in the Lib Dems. Cheese lady. Greg Clark was uh, in the SDP. David Mundell, the um, uh, Scottish secretary, was in the SDP. And this is the one that no one gets. It's brilliant. Michael Gove, in 1983, <laughs> was in the Labour Party. No! <laughs> Isn't that oh, amazing? Gosh, that's so terrible. In 1983 as well. Apparently he was only in it briefly. Obviously he was in a trade union in the 80s when he was a journalist. He was on picket lines and stuff. I think he was raised by a Labour family and that is what pushed him into joining uh, the Labour oh, Party. he's so odious. Uh, uh, I'm not sure when he left, but apparently he wasn't in for very long at all. I'll try and find an easier question for next week's show. Um <laughs> But, but I, I doubt... One the director can answer, please. That's how simple okay. it needs to be. But I, I doubt it'll have as good a reveal as Michael Gove. Oh, it's uh, horrid. Anyway, remember... It's like nails on a chalkboard, just the idea of it. <laughs> anyway, remember to send in any comments and questions that you have, uh, especially leave it as a, an iTunes review and we'll get back to you on, a, on next week's extra show. Uh, do rate and subscribe on iTunes and Progressive Britain will be back on Tuesday next week with Alison McGovern. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast with Connor Pope and Richard Angel. The music is When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And this episode was produced by Carolyn Crampton.